Welcome to 24 Hour Expert, where we challenge each other to see what we can learn on random topics in just a day. I'm Allie. And I'm Amy. Let's see what we've learned. All right, Allie, are you ready for this week's topic? Amy, I am ready. Do you know what this week's topic is? No. It is music licensing. Music licensing. Okay, how did we get to this topic? Well, because I have curiosities, quite frankly. And I was just wondering, like, how do people get paid on me listening to the same seven songs on Spotify on repeat? So I dug into that. And also, like, with all of the Taylor Swift things that have been happening with, like, her and Scooter Braun, and just, like, in general, how are people, like, making money in the digital age? But mostly because I listen to the same rotation of songs, and I think I really hope I'm supporting some of these people because I have committed a lot of my life to these same songs. That is interesting. I guess I've never thought about how our artists, I mean, besides like licensing their music to Spotify, but. Right. But you're like licensing your music. Then I also think, right, because I remember on the Office Ladies podcast, shout out to them because they do an exceptional job. They were talking about how it cost $60,000 when Michael Scott sang Two Tickets to Paradise, which I'm not going to sing because we do not have that kind of money. But that was a shocking statistic to me. And I thought for 30 seconds of a gimmick on a TV show, somebody made $60,000. Now, granted, I'm sure that $60,000 got split a lot of ways. But like that was very shocking to me. And then you put it together with, you know, I like to find like new artists and, you know, maybe I listen to one song. But then I listen to Backstreet Boys on like repeat. So like how much money have I given them over the years? Hard to say. I have all of their CDs. I listen to them on all of the streaming networks. And I like listen to them on the radio. When they are on, I don't turn the channel. All right. And we've been to a lot of their concerts. Concerts. This is not even equating the amount of t-shirts and random garbage we have bought over the years. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm interested. Let's hear it. We're going to dive in. So let's, we're going to break down the type of licensings there are. So I'm just going to need everyone to bear with me for a hot second because it may not be that glamorous, but it is very interesting. So we're just going to start. I would like to thank musicbed.com for educating me on the several types of licensing that exist. So there are six types of music licensing. Oh, there is synchronization license, a mechanical license, a master license, public performance license, print right license, and theatrical license. Okay. Right. Exactly. And I was like, here I am thinking someone's just like, if you want to play my music, give me a penny. Which is kind of what it all boils down to, but we're going to break it down a little bit more. So a synchronization license is referencing music that is going to be paired with some form of visual media. So it has a broad range of uses, including commercials, films, streaming, personal films, internal communications, and more. So it's kind of like the overarching, from what I can understand, of the licensing. So would that be like when you can get a, put a song to your video on TikTok, would that be like a synchronization license? To the best of my understanding, yes. Okay. Okay. So then we have a mechanical license, which is needed for any physical reproduction of an artist's work. So this is talking about like CDs, vinyls, any tangible form of distribution. Okay, okay. So this is also the licensing that you would need if you want to cover the song. So like when people are singing other people's songs, they would have a mechanical license to cover it. So like if I was in a cover band and I want to sing a Backstreet Boys song, I would have bought one of these mechanical licenses to do so. Correct. Okay. 
to to the best of my understanding. Now, I would love to pick the brains of some of these people and these cover bands because I think that would be so interesting to see like, okay, what is Whitney Houston's song cost you versus MC Hammer's song? We could maybe do that someday. You know that I have connections. I do know you have connections, but this was fascinating to me because this is also, you need a mechanical license even if you only cover a portion of the song. So even if you're just singing a little tidbit, mechanical license. Okay, okay. So the master's license, and I'm going to read this one from musicbed.com because I think it's helpful. Master licenses are a bit more complex than most. They are similar to the sync license, but not quite as broad ranging. A master right is held by the person who owns the recording of a song. The master license gives the user permission to use a pre-recorded version of the song in a visual or audio project, but does not allow the user to re-record a song for a project i.e. to cover or edit a song. Generally, a master license is issued in conjunction with a synchronization license. Hmm, that also seems like it could be like how TikTok lets you use songs. So I think this has a lot to do with like the Taylor Swift Scooter Braun thing because everyone is talking about owning her masters. And so I think that is the ownership of the recording of a song, the original recording of a song. I have to confess that I know very little about that drama. Allison, where have you been? I mean, I know there's drama and I know that she didn't own her own music, but yes. that's all I understand or know. <laughs> we will dive into that a little bit later and I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. But essentially, and again, this is me repeating information that I've heard, but there is a lot of like breakdowns of this. If you go on TikTok or on the internet, you can kind of see it. But essentially... Taylor Swift's masters were owned by her previous management company. And when that management company was sold to Scooter Braun, he then owned those masters. After a certain period of time, his ownership or essentially his rights to own them, to some extent, the masters of those, expired. And she was able then to re-record them and essentially resell them as Taylor's version. So when you're listening to Taylor Swift, you should really be listening to Taylor's version because that is then making sure that the money being earned from the playment, playment, that's not a word, but anyway, the playing of those songs is actually going to Taylor Swift and not Scooter Braun. Oh, okay. Okay. And she was not happy with that because she wanted to own them. She was not able to do so. He then owned them. She did not want him specifically to own them. So she was like, we're just going to re-record them when this timeline runs out. And now I'm going to re-own them, re-record them, and honestly reinvent them because some of them are just gold mines. They're delightful. Awesome. Well, I know I've heard some of her versions, but I'll have to make a point to listen to some more because I like her. Yeah. Well, and she's working through her whole library. So there's a few albums that are out that are Taylor's versions. I believe her most recent albums, Folklore and Evermore, are owned by her outright because she recorded them post all of this. I think so, But then she has, like, the ones that she's re-recorded that are Taylor's versions. That's so cool. So she's working through the catalog. Awesome. So now that I've kind of butchered Taylor Swift's story, but hopefully have helped you get a little bit more caught up. I'm sure someone will offer more details. I am more caught up. Thank you. We're going to jump into the next one. So we have the public performance license, which is the most common form of music license issue today. So it generally applies to any broadcast of an artist's work. This includes businesses who play music in their stores, jukeboxes, or any other form of public performance, all the way up to concerts. 
And then there's the print right license, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's the license that's referring to a physical copy of the sheet music that an artist has created. So literally printing all the music. Got it. And then there's the theatrical license, which is our last one, which is also a very specific form of written permission. The theatrical license are common in the theater industry, and it's required anytime a copyrighted work is performed on stage in front of an audience. So like Mamma Mia, all the ABBA songs. Yes. They would have this license to be able to perform that. Well, I would have to kind of assume that really anytime you're playing at a venue, you might be earning from a theatrical license because you're technically performing on stage. But in theory, it's right based on theatrical. Okay. Use. So maybe that's what cover bands use instead of the other one. Yeah. See, these are the questions I have. It was a little bit unclear based on my 24 hours of research. So we'll have to dive in deeper. So I thought some of the things that would be most interesting to learn from this venue, from this topic, and now I'm thinking venues like music (laughs) venues, is to talk about the royalties that have been earned from the playing of songs. So I tried to figure out the top 10 most expensive royalties in the world. And I was able to find a pretty solid list. Number 10 on our list is Mel Torm, maybe Mel Torme or Mel Torm, T-O-R-M-E, the Christmas song. What's the Christmas song? I think it's, well, now you've got me questioning it because I was thinking it's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, but I'm pretty sure that's called Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, so. Oh, it's the Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Allie, don't sing more. I'm not singing, I'm speaking. I'm (laughs) speaking. Thank you for the clarification. That is the Christmas song. It is apparently not Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. (laughs) But that's what I was thinking this whole time. Okay, so that's number 10, and it is estimated that it brought in almost $19 million from royalties. Wow. Mel. And it was released in 1944. So next up, number nine is Roy Orbison and Bill Dees for Oh Pretty Woman in 1964. Pretty Woman. Oh, don't sing. Oh, this is hard. That's going to be harder than I thought. So that brought in 19.75 million. Then here's one I think you'll know. Sting, Every Breath You Take, 1983. Yes. Okay. 20.5 million. Number seven is... Uh, Haven Gillespie and Fred J. Coots for Santa Claus is Coming to Town in 1934. Okay, know that one. $25 million. Uh, number six is Ben E. King, Jerry Lieber, and Mike Stroller for Stand By Me. Okay, yeah. In 1961, which is $27 million. Ooh. Number five is Alex North and High Zaret, Z-A-R-E-T, for Unchained Melody in 1955. I'm 20. I recognize that name, but I can't hear it in my head. So I did too. I did not Google what one it was, but I know the name of that. Um, and it brought in 27.5 million. Nice, nice. Um, number four, I think, is one you'll know John Lennon and Paul McCartney yesterday, 1965. Yes. Brought in 30 million. Number three, uh, by Barry Mann, Synthes Wheel. And Phil Spector, You've Lost That Loving Feeling in 1964. Okay. $32 million. Number two is Irving Berlin, White Christmas, $36 Classic. Million. Classic. Amy, fun fact, loves this song. Now, let me tell you a story about our childhood, because this is the benefit of doing a podcast with your sister. 
Allison and I grew up sharing a room because at three-year-old, my parents thought that she was mature enough to make the lifelong decision that we would share a room. So we did. And it was honestly great. I think we are better sisters for it. But there were some some tumultuous years in there, I would say. (laughs) And one of them was that when Allie would want me to stop talking at the end of the night, she would just sing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas over and over and over and louder and louder and louder until I stopped talking to go to sleep. That's a historical lesson for all of you that has nothing to do with music licensing, but is just a fun little soundbite from my life. <laughs> also, now that I've told that whole story, is I'm dreaming of a white Christmas the same as white Christmas? <laughs> Let's just for the sake of the podcast, hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed, everybody. So that was number two at 36 million and at number one, would you like to take a guess? Number one. So this would be number one for royalties. Is and it, it is a happy something... birthday? Yes! <laughs> yes! Good job, Allie. So Hill's sister, happy birthday, 1893, 50 million. Yes, because I knew, I f- forget where it came up, but I knew like restaurants, when it's your birthday and they sing at you, that they have to have their own birthday song so they don't have to pay to use the actual happy birthday song. Because music licensing. See, it's all a very intertwined web. All right, so now that we've covered our top 10, we're going to jump into a little bit more about what what musicians are making on licensed songs. So I want to shout out to musicindustryhowto.com for giving me some insights on the going rate. And these I want to specify are based in U.S. right now because they had some other data of how other countries calculate these. But for our sake, we're going to talk about the United States. For the reproduction of a song being sold, it's about nine cents per reproduction of that song on like a CD or a vinyl. Same for a digital download. So the artist is getting nine cents per CD or per download? Per, yeah. Okay. Nine cents. So then when you talk about stream, so not actually downloaded and owned music, you're looking at 0.005 cents. So every time you stream your seven songs, those artists are getting 0.0075 cents. Not 75, 0.005 cents. Oh, sorry, 0.005 cents. They had a calculation in there that said a song that had 250,000 streams would make about $1,250. Wow, that's a lot of streams and not as much money as you would think. Exactly. So there's value in terms of owned content, right? So like if you're buying a CD or a vinyl or you're downloading the song, it's obviously a higher earning rate for the musician. And then it goes up when you're also talking about it being um, played or spun on things like the radio. So if you're being played on the radio, it's $5. $5 every time they play you on the radio? Every time they play you on the radio. Ooh, that's where the money's at. That Well, wait. So the going rate on satellite radio, $35. Every time their song is played on satellite radio, they make $35. Well, we're assuming there's some negotiation going into it, but that's around a going rate, yes. All right. I can see the appeal of being a one-hit wonder. Right. You just have to get that song played. And then think about it. These are royalties. So this is every time they're played for perpetuity. Right? So it's not like when they're only when they're chart topping hits. They don't even have to be chart topping hits. They just have to be hits that are played frequently enough to like gain traction. That is in 
sane and great yeah. use of the word perpetuity. Thank you. Also, I was a little bit nervous about throwing that one out there. I didn't feel like that was going to roll off the tongue, but it, it came together. It, came, it was great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm pretty proud of that. So then this made me think, because this is how my brain works. So you're telling me when Grey's Anatomy played Chasing Cars and everyone blew up that song, Grey's Anatomy played this song, then we all, I don't know, downloaded it. I think that was in the phase of download. I know it was on at least one of the mixed CDs that Probably. I listened to. I'm sure we all stole school. it. Yeah. I mean, we did definitely did not steal it. <laughs> we did not do that ever. We would never. But that makes me think, like, think about all of these playlists that all of these shows are just playing. And then the musicians are benefiting off of the fact that those shows or movies play their songs. And, like, they also have soundtracks. So then people are downloading those soundtracks. And you're getting just, what do you call it, when it's exponential growth. Yes. <sighs> Throwing out words here, left and right wow. today. Just words. So then I Googled, because why would I not? The most played TV theme songs. And so I think that's very interesting. Number one is Supernatural, Carry On My Wayward Son. 363 million plays. Okay. Number two, One Tree Hill, I Don't Want to Be. 142 million plays. And then number three is Friends, I'll Be There for You. Uh 138 million plays. So those are their theme songs. I want to talk about their soundtracks. So the top three soundtracks. Number one was Stranger Things. Five billion plays. Billion. Wow. With a B. Interesting. Number two, One Tree Hill, 1.7 billion plays. And number three, This Is Us, 1.3 billion plays. That is, I never would have guessed that those were the soundtracks. Right? It's just shocking. Yeah. So those are the things that I think about when I'm like, so when I pick up these random songs, which is totally fair because I very clearly remember listening to Chasing Cars on Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy, a hit of that year that it just played. I mean, they played it at dances, and that's not even like a song you dance to. Yeah. That's like a song everybody awkwardly sways to. Yeah, because it's not fast and it's not slow. Right. That is some of my fun facts. The other thing I wanted to share in this little licensing um, conundrum is the scandal. So this episode would not be complete without some scandal. These are, uh, I'd like to thank BBC.com. For the nine most notorious copyright cases in music history, if you want to read all of the details, they have a wonderful article. I only picked a few that I thought were really interesting. There is the case of Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams versus Marvin Gaye. So this was a really interesting case because Marvin Gaye didn't actually accuse them of direct plagiarism. But the feel of the disco hit, Gotta Give It Up by Marvin Gaye was kind of infused into the Blurred Lines song that was released by Pharrell Williams and Robin Thicke. And so this actually kind of started a new trend in the music industry where artists would get ahead of this kind of lawsuit by crediting individuals who influenced the way a song sounded. So Robin Thicke did admit that the song did influence the way that he wrote it. And so now people are crediting the influence from other artists who have like inspired them, basically. Okay. I mean, I understand that and I get it. But like the devil advocate side of me wants to be like, isn't literally all art, all music, all everything influenced 
by something or someone? Yeah, kind of. But I think it's like getting to the point where they're so similar that it's a little bit walking the line of plagiarism. So they gave some additional examples. So it was said here that like Taylor Swift shared credit with right said Fred after the course of her 2017 song, Look What You Made Me Do, followed the same percussive pattern as the group's 1991 earworm, I'm Too Sexy. So like it's not direct plagiarism, but it still has the same pattern. Close enough that if you were to listen to those isolated things, you might be like, uh, correct. And they even say here too, Ed Sheeran has done likewise with the writers of TLC's No Scrubs after fans spotted similarities to his 2017 single Shape of You. So similarities. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just, for the record, what's fair is fair and you should give credit where credit is due. Well, and I just, I think it's interesting because, right, you, the more that people have access to these things and the more that's produced, there's all these different legalities of like trying to protect it. Yeah. Yeah. So another one I found super interesting was John Forgety versus John Forgety. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. So I'm super sorry to any fans of his. It's he's a singer of Credence Clearwater Revival. So he was actually found where he had to defend himself against himself when he stood accused of self-plagiarism by his record label. So he parted ways with his record label, and then they accused him of copying his own Swamp Rock hit, Run Through the Jungle, with the same chorus with different lyrics when he was on his own. (laughs) So really, it was like his his ex-label versus him in reality. Right. But it was his song versus his song, and so he actually won the battle. And it says here he brought his guitar to the witness stand and played excerpts from both songs to persuade the court that his swamp rock style can make different compositions sound similar, but that the two were distinct compositions. I like it. I like it. Right? I know it. I know it. So I think the one that we are all most aware of, or at least the one that I've heard the most about, is Vanilla Ice versus Queen and David Bowie. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Yes. So I feel like this is the one where everyone kind of gets the like, oh, yeah, they had beef with each other, but it's actually copyright infringement, right? So it's all of this music licensing and the ability, but then also the infringement of the original art that was created. And so I feel like that one is kind of at least the most known in our era. Yeah. And that one, it's, I feel very clear. Yes. And there's, I mean, there's a bunch of others. Obviously, there's nine. I only talked about three that they've listed, but there's a bunch of others that kind of walk that line. But it's kind of this ever-evolving space. And then I just think about, and you know, you could get into a black hole forever when you think about, like, downloading music for, like, podcasts and stuff or being able to play snippets to a movie or something that may also have music in it and so then you get into kind of these like deep dives but we're not going to do that tonight this is where I'm going to wrap up my music licensing education for us but this one was really interesting and I've always just been curious like how do they navigate that and make sure they're getting what is due to them as artists so these are my fun facts I hope you enjoyed them I like it I like it I would love to know, and obviously in the digital age, probably super easy, right? But like just the tracking mechanisms they have to say, okay, Taylor, we played you on the radio 300 times yesterday. Here's your dollars. Here's your dollars. Well, and then you have to think about negotiation because I read in a couple of these places, like when you're talking about satellite radio who's going to pay you $35 a round, they might negotiate the amount of times that they're going to play you in a week or a month, and then it's just one big payout. So they know how many times they can play your song. 
And they have to allocate it appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. But also <laughs> makes me think about, and I have to go too far down a rabbit hole at the end of an episode, but, and I don't know how much satellite radio costs anymore, but for argument's sake, let's say you pay what 10 bucks a month or something and they're paying that much per song to artists. How are they making any money on this? Well, volume of subscription, and then they're also making higher ad revenue because it's such uh, oh, focused time ad slots revenue. for ad revenue. So ad revenue is the big thing, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Ad revenue is huge. That's where all the money's coming from. That's where the money's at. And then you also think, like, the subscriptions are coming in, and all these people are paying varying rates, and then you've got these sample things. And I mean, think about, like... How many random subscriptions are just being sat out there and maybe even going underutilized? I mean, I know I'm guilty of not canceling subscriptions, too, if I'm not utilizing them as regularly. So, like, there has to be that happening, too. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I had, like, a stockpile of 10 credits on Audible. And I was like, okay, I have to cancel this because I I didn't even have that many books to download. (laughs) Then you download 10 books and go through them all. And you're like, oh, Audible was so great. I should do that again. Exactly. They'll, They'll get me again in the future. I know they will. Right? Well, you and I both. We're just sitting ducks waiting for more subscriptions. Honestly, upcoming episodes, subscriptions, that's a black hole that I'm not sure I'm willing to go down because then I'd realize how much outgoing cash is just going to subscriptions. But for another day. Ad revenue would also be a good one. Ad ad revenue is so interesting and how it's negotiated and day parts and your different markets that you're playing it in, the value. So interesting. Yeah. I'm not an expert on it. I've dabbled in it. Not well. But it would be very interesting. Well, this was very interesting. All this stuff, you know, we as consumers don't think about really, right? Like we just consume our music, we enjoy it, and we go on with our life. We don't think about the point zero zero five cents or give it away. No. But I will continue to support my seven songs. I actually think my playlist is up to like 112 songs, which makes me feel like a very well-rounded person. But there are days where I just play my little mini list because those are like my happy feel-good songs. And I think, you're welcome. There's your... 0.005 cents now. (laughs) Someday. Someday I'm going to make the Baxter Boys million. Baxter Boys, Britney Spears, honestly, truly, anything 1990s, early 2000, it's just, they've got me captured. 100%. Always. We should do, I would like to propose that one day we do a 24-hour expert on Amy and Allie, and we share, like, top top five fun facts about ourselves, and I will share some of my most popularly played songs. It's so funny you say that because Dan threw out that idea at one point, but more of interview style, like he'd interview me and then the next episode I'd interview him. We can do that. I think it would be fun to play a can you guess about each other because I feel like I could get pretty close. I do not think I could guess your top five songs. I think that's probably a strange. I don't but. think I could come up with top five songs. You know, I'm not a big, I like music, I enjoy music, but I'm not someone who has it on. It's very distracting to me. <laughs> See, now I'm the exact opposite. I always have music. I always have something on. Well, an idea. We'll, we'll, we'll think on it. I'm sorry. That was a rabbit hole. I hope that you've all enjoyed listening to me talk at you about music licensing. Do with that what you will. If you have any comments, corrections, suggestions, you can email us at 24hourexpert at gmail.com. Spell out all the words. It's also our Instagram, our Facebook, and our website. And you can find us there. Talk at you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to 24 Hour Expert. Our theme song is Lo-Fi World by Ricky Bambino. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you're notified of future episodes. 